I'm Mark Peterson, and this is Before, During, and After, a podcast from FEMA. Heat waves are on the increase and garner well-deserved attention from the media. While these extreme heat events are growing in frequency and severity, a recent study by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, found that more deaths occur due to exposure to the cold. The CDC reports that in 2019, about 1,300 people died of hypothermia. An analysis by the CDC of U.S. temperature-related deaths between 2006 and 2010 showed that 63% were attributable to cold exposure. To help people prepare for winter weather, FEMA's Ready Campaign's first ever Winter Ready public education effort is designed to reach all communities with simple, accessible, and culturally competent messaging on how to protect themselves, their loved ones, and their homes. So this episode is the first of a series where we consider multiple aspects of winter preparedness and the unique challenges the cold can pose. So on this episode, we discuss that and more with Matt Lanza, a Houston-based meteorologist who lived through the impacts of winter weather in the Southwest in recent years. Winter Ready, this is uh, capitalizing on uh, a really fantastic campaign over the summer for Summer Ready and to go along with FEMA's traditional ready.gov campaign. Uh, We're excited to think about uh, basically the other juxtaposition of extreme temperatures from summer heat to now winter cold and and all of the fun aspects uh, that that winter can bring, whether it be skiing um, and snowboarding and sledding, but also, uh, you know, the, the the significant weather that can really impede uh, our daily lives and, um, and and make things difficult. So uh, I'm really excited to be joined by two really cool individuals. First, uh, Troy Christensen from our uh, podcast team here in Region Five and uh, and FEMA. Troy, thanks for uh, being part of this. Great to be here, Mark. Yeah, it's good to see you again. And then uh, Matt Lanza from SpaceCityWeather.com. Matt, thanks for uh, joining me and talking a little bit about uh, winter readiness and uh, and extreme weather. Yeah, absolutely. Good to be here, Mark. Thanks for thanks for having me on. So, Matt, uh, I I I love the story that you have here uh, with Space City Weather. I think it's it's really exciting to talk to you um, from Texas and and hear about well and and really explore the idea of winter readiness. but first, tell me about yourself and, and sort of how you became a co-founder for SpaceCityWeather.com. Yeah, sure. So I um, started off uh, as a meteorologist. Uh, I've been a meteorologist for about 20 years now. I uh, graduated from Rutgers, um, decided that I wanted to go into broadcast meteorology when I got out of school, uh, and I did that. I uh, spent about five years in upstate New York, so I saw my share of real winter weather, uh, <laughs> plenty of lake effect snow. Uh, after growing up in South Jersey on the wrong side of the rain snow line, I made up for it, um, but I uh, wanted a little bit of a different challenge. So I uh, hopped into the energy industry um, and decided to do work there. I thought the forecasting was a little bit more challenging. You're trying to sort of test the limits of predictability to some extent when you get into uh, energy-focused meteorology uh, in terms of accuracy, how accurate can you make a temperature forecast, as well as how far out you can make uh, a forecast. So I started doing that in the uh, late 2000s and 
through all the 2010s, uh, moved from uh, New York to California, California to Florida, Florida to Houston, where I am now. Um, and uh, I was in between jobs at one point in Houston, and I was doing a little bit of weather writing um, with uh, uh, Eric Berger of the Houston Chronicle. Uh, and I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen with, with, with my, you know, career situation. Uh, so, you know, uh, I was just kind of helping him out, write Weather columns, um, every now and then. And then I got hired full-time, uh, back in the energy industry doing more, more forecast work. So uh, I asked if I could continue doing that. They were receptive to it. So I continued to write and, uh, Eric left the Houston Chronicle in 2015 and, uh, became a, a space writer for Ars Technica. And uh, when he left, he had a pretty good following of people from his weather coverage over the years and asked if I wanted to join him in a new venture uh, that we would call Space City Weather. And I was all ears. So uh, we started that. We had like our niche audience uh, for a time. Uh, and, you know, that was just 2015. And then by 2017, Hurricane Harvey hits. And, well, we kind of go from this little side gig with a niche audience to people actually, you know, hiding in their closets, checking their phones for our latest. Um, it was a crazy whirlwind of a scenario. And uh, since then, we've kind of become a, a significant player in Houston's weather coverage. Um, we sort of uh, gear ourselves as being no hype, you know, we try and keep things boring most of the time and then, you know, ramp it up when uh, the weather calls for it. And uh, we've had some success with that. We've built up a good following here in Houston and we started a companion site called the Eyewall this summer uh, that was focused primarily on Atlantic hurricane coverage, but we're also sort of expanding our reach a little bit more to other uh, weather events as well. So we'll see how that goes. You know, it's kind of a, a new thing and we'll see if there's a market for it uh, for the same kind of type of coverage that we do here in Houston. So, I mean, you know, you mentioned that it's a kind of a no hype, um, website, which I think is really cool. It's just kind of straightforward weather news, right? Yeah. Yep. We want to be, you know, to the point, tell people what we know. Um, you know, I, I think in the, the world of media today, it's important to, you know, Hey, you know, we, this is everything we know. Here's what we're telling you. And here's what we think to make of it. And here's what you should be doing. And here's what you should be watching. And Leave it at that. Well, tell me about that niche market that you you uh, kind of, or the niche audience that that, that you kind of found yourself in. I mean, was it sort of hobbyist meteorologist, or was it uh, wh who was really following you up first? It's kind of interesting. So you know, Eric had built up this great following at the Houston Chronicle, and I've seen this because we started a weather blog when I was in TV in upstate New York. And what would happen was you would have these weather enthusiasts and there are a lot of them. They would just gravitate to it. They love it. They just, any type of weather information, anything you can tell them, it doesn't matter. They're, they're, they're just super interested in it. And for whatever reason, and I'll, I'll never understand this, but it is, um, people just, you know, when they find you and if they like you a couple of times, like you have them forever and they just love it. Um, and they love, uh, just hearing about weather, learning about weather and, and stuff like that. So I think that was kind of our core audience, but then we had a pretty healthy amount of just, you know, average people that are just making like decisions, um, for their families and stuff like that. They want to know, you know, what to wear, what to do, what's coming, um, anything to be aware of. I, I think that there was kind of a, I don't want to call it blissful ignorance of the weather around here, but just sort of a, a complacency to things through, uh, you know, after Hurricane Ike hit, um, after the Hurricane Rita evacuation, you know, debacle here in Texas, um, you know, people kind of got lulled into a period of calm for six or seven years. 
um, without too many, you know, major weather events. And then all of a sudden, you know, here comes a, a couple of floods and then Hurricane Harvey. Um, and now all of a sudden, you know, that audience goes from just people that are interested in weather and just want to know to all these other people. Yeah, but, I mean, just that average uh, um, American who just wants to learn more about weather or just wanted, wants to know <laughs> for sure, um, you know, what the weather is going to be. That's like the first step in preparedness, right? Knowing the risk, knowing what's out there. And so, uh, you know, maybe we could talk a little bit about what's unique about Texas here and specifically where you are um, in Houston. To me, Houston is known for being hot and humid, right? That the east side <laughs> of Texas seems to be hot and humid. It is very hot and humid, and especially after this summer, that is fresh on everyone's mind. Well, it, was, it was a miserable summer. That's right. Um, and, I, and I can understand. I mean, I, you had, uh, uh, how many days did it end up being above 100 degrees? It was some, uh, it was a very large number, right? It was, it was a lot. I forget the exact number. It, I think it just missed the record from 2011, but um, we had so many nights in the eighties and just, it was just constant. Like at least in 2011, I think we had a couple of days of breaks, but this year there was no break. It was started in mid June and it didn't end until late September. And I'm sure even now, as the temperatures have uh, stabilized, maybe become a little cooler, people are still very well aware of that heat that they just experienced. And so, but we want to transition to what is ultimately coming winter readiness. And uh, so, you know, as you think about your audience and your region, and then, you know, maybe part of it like nationally, because um, it wasn't just the Texas area that experienced those extreme heat temperatures. You know, why is it important to prepare for uh, winter weather hazards? Uh, it's extremely important because I think with heat, you know, obviously heat is, is a serious situation. But I mean, to be honest with you, like especially here in the South, you kind of grow used to it. There, there's kind of a an adaptation that takes place through the summer. It's really, you know, the, the first month or so of summer that you're really vulnerable, I think. And then as the summer progresses, you get, you know, more and more adapted to it. And, you know, that's not to say that there's not issues. There certainly are. There's still some people that don't really have air conditioning or don't have good air conditioning that somehow uh, live down here that, you know, we have to think about during the summer. So that's why we never really downplay the heat, even if like, Hey, you know, yeah, we're, we're hardy Texans and we're used to the heat, but um, you know, this heat's a little bit different. This is a little bit worse than normal. So that was kind of the thing that we had to, to really uh, get used to this year. But the thing with cold is that we're not used to it. And when it hits, it just, it hits hard and nobody, nobody's ready. You know, you can be as prepared as you can be, but you're just not ready to step outside and, and, you know, you feel it as soon as you go outside. I mean, I'm from the Northeast. I've experienced plenty of cold in my life, but I mean, going back to some of the, the coldest that we've had last December, uh, February 21, um, just walking outside, it is, it is a real shock to the system. Um, and then you layer in all the complexities with power outages and, you know, poor insulation, lack of heat or pipes bursting, it's just all these other things that come with that. It can be a nightmare for, for people down here if they're not, you know, ready for it in some capacity. So you're fortunate being a transplant then, Matt, because you, you, you're used to that northern climate, you're used to the southern climate, you know, a lot of people are not necessarily used to it. And you know, it's not something that happens every year, as you just mentioned. Uh, you know, you mentioned some of the big events or, you know, ice storms in the southeast. Atlanta area is is one that always comes to top of mind of, you know, getting the once every couple years snowstorm or ice storm. You know, tell me a little bit about, about how 
not only the, the, the climate differs, but how the weather, winter weather forecasting differs in Houston and how you communicate that, which I think is the biggest thing, uh, how you communicate that to your audience versus, you know, in Chicago or in Buffalo, New York, where we're more or less, you know, we're very, very used to the, the winter weather. Uh, and it happens, you know, every week or so. It's uh, not over six or eight inches. We're just kind of like, <laughs> right, right. If it's, if it's under six inches, everybody goes to work and there's, there's no impact, uh, here in Chicago, but, uh, you know, other places it's definitely not like that. No, for sure. Um, you know, so, the, you know, the, the key difference down here is obviously the infrastructure is just not designed for that type of weather. So anytime you get any sort of thing, I know it's, it, it's, it's real, um, you know, it used to be real fun living in the Northeast and these two people in the South and then you get a little bit of snow or ice and everybody freaks out and goes crazy and nobody knows how to drive and everything. But now like having lived down here, I get that. I understand why we just don't have uh, the resources to handle it. Um, like, you know, y'all do up North. Um, but what's interesting is that it's not, it doesn't stop there. You know, it is um, not to minimize forecasting in the north, but it's a lot more straightforward. You know, usually you have a storm, you know, generally there's going to be a mixed area, a rain area, snow area, you know, whatever. However, that sets up. Well, down here, there's no guarantee of anything, um, you know, because the, the, the way cold air kind of um, acts down in the south, it's very, very shallow most times when it comes down here. So it's only a few thousand feet up the ground, off the ground that you have this real cold and then you go, you know, 10,000 feet up and it's 20 degrees warmer. Um, it, it's pretty remarkable actually just how shallow this cold air is that comes down into the south. And so what that does is that it makes it impossible to forecast, you know, with a lot of lead time, are you going to see rain? Are you going to see snow? Are you going to see sleet? Or is it going to be freezing rain? So you've got all this, you know, this whole potpourri of, of options um, from precipitation type. So it makes that more difficult to forecast than, than anywhere else. And then you layer in the fact that it only takes a tiny little bit to make, you know, things go to chaos down here. So, you know, it, it's a combination of, um, you know, lower, lower threshold and, you know, lower, um, ability to deal with it that uh, makes it so challenging. And so what you have to do as forecast communicators, just be honest with people and be like, this is what we think is going to happen, but you know, this is where it could go. This is what could happen. You know, I think I remember back to the uh, February 21 uh, freeze event, winter storm, Yuri, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, that was not just cold. We got snow from that as well. And we didn't get much. We only got an inch or two, but there were definitely some points in time beforehand where we saw some model data that was supporting, you know, three, four, five, six inches of snow, not far from Houston. Um, that alone would have, you know, shut down the city. Uh, and then you layer in the, the extreme cold and, and all the, the power outages and everything that come with that, um, you know, that, that would have made it 10 times worse, but instead we got a little bit of snow, we got some sleep, we got a little bit of ice, but because it was so cold and because we don't really have resources, we had to wait for the temperature to actually warm up. Uh, before roads would become passable. So, you know, you're just, you're talking about shutting down some of these major cities during, you know, what would be laughed at in places like Chicago or Boston or New York. Well, maybe different, I mean, different uh, preparedness, uh, you know, we have the, the facilities and um, that maybe we're ready for those things. So I, I, un I understand the differences there. And, and, you know, maybe one of the other differences, you know, that we look at in terms of preparedness is uh, the types of kits people would put together uh, for preparedness, right? Um, and so when, when you think about winter preparedness um, in the South, and you're helping people to think about what makes them prepared for these uncertainties. 
you know, what makes a good preparedness kit as we look at winter weather for you? Yeah, I think you have to think about, especially here in Texas now, the 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 difference is that it used to be, you know, you would have a, you know maybe some flashlights on hand in case you lost power or something like that. But now, like, you need to think that, okay, you might lose power for a period of time and it's going to be cold. So you almost have to think of it like a hurricane situation now. And, and what we tell people at least is that it's not a bad idea to prepare for, you know, you make this preparedness kit during hurricane season. Well, you don't necessarily have to eat through it. Once hurricane season's over, you can kind of keep it around in, into the winter um, and hold on to it. So I think, you know, you need to have blankets. I think one thing that people uh, need to think about is um, charging their phones uh, ahead of time. Uh, I think that kind of tends to get lost sometimes, but like before we get a cold front or, you know, when we're expecting a freeze uh, down here to make sure that you've got, you know, your phone fully charged. So you have, you know, access to that, um, you know, things like camping gear that are good to have that, that you would use when you go camping. I know we got a lot of people in Texas that like to go to Colorado or go camping in West Texas or East Texas. Um, you know, a lot of people have those things that those can be kind of doubled up as, as, um, you know, supply kits, um, you know, and having a way to communicate, that was one of the, the real challenges during really during Harvey, uh, as, as a hurricane and during, uh, the winter storm was just making sure you had the ability to find out information. Um, so having batteries and a radio, uh, I think are very good. Um, and obviously bottled water, you want that for a few days as well. Um, and in case, you know, cause one of the issues that we saw were the cascading, you know, you lose power and then the, the water supply, uh, also lost power down here. A lot of it was cellular backup and they had generator power that was only going to last a couple of days. And then, you know, by the end of the week or the middle of the week during URI, you know, they're, they're running out of power too. So we had boil water advisories on top of that. So you want to have, uh, water and, you know, uh, obviously some food to snack on if you can't cook for whatever reason. So, you know, anything like that, you really need to, it doesn't sound too dissimilar from a hurricane short of an evacuation route. Like that's really, it's the same concept, um, which I think is, that's the easiest way to explain it to folks down here. I think folks that were here during the, the Feb freeze in 21 get it now um, to, to at least some extent, they understand what some of the pitfalls are. Um, but to people that are new or whatever, you know, we'd like to tell them just prepare for it like a hurricane and, you know, you just follow the same concepts. And what about those car preparedness tips? Uh, you know, a preparedness kit that you probably put in your vehicle. A lot of people travel, especially around the holidays. They go back and forth across the country, don't necessarily know what they're going to get into unless they do their research ahead of time as far as what weather. And they may not expect it, uh, especially in the southern part of the country. Anything that you would you would add um, specifically to, to put in people's cars or vehicles as they're traveling? One thing I think is important to have some blankets in your car, especially if you're traveling anywhere like across the South in the wintertime, uh, just in case you do get stuck, you have a way to, you know, at least stay warm. Most people in the South do not have snow brushes. You don't really need a snow brush very often, but a scraper, um, you know, is, is very good. It's a very good tool to have even in the South. I think we've learned that, you know, even if you only need it for two days out of the year, it, it's generally worth it. And it can come in handy um, in case you get yourself into trouble during, uh, during travel. Uh, you know, obviously a first aid kit, uh, a flashlight is a good thing to have uh, as well. Um, maybe some extra clothes to put on in addition to a blanket, um, you know, things like that. Uh, you know, you just have to have to be smart and just make sure above all, make sure you're paying attention to the weather. Um, and it's not always going to be just the phone app. 
um, that's going to help you out uh, during you know th these sorts of things. Make sure you're getting a little nuance behind um, what's happening because that will help you to decide like, hey, you know, I'm I'm staying put uh, and just not to travel. Yeah, making a decision to to be safe instead of getting to your destination. Sometimes it's a hard decision to make, especially around the holidays. Uh, you you know you have a pretty tight schedule if you travel like my family does, but uh, it's it's definitely something to consider. You know, Matt, we we've talked a lot about some of these specific events down in Texas, February twenty twenty one being being one of the main ones that we've discussed. How do you see climate change as playing into these extreme weather events, especially in your context uh, that, that you see um, in, in your area? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a challenging one. I, I think that there's no real good answer yet on that. I think there's a lot of research that needs to be done. You know, are these Arctic events getting stronger, getting worse, getting more frequent? Um, you know, do we just end up in a, with a situation where climate change, you know, exaggerates um, jet stream amplification, which can lead to this sort of outcome, just depending on exactly where it sets up, um, which is to say that, hey, that could happen in Texas, but that could also happen in the southeast, Florida, Georgia. Um, you know, those places can get pretty cold. I mean, you know, you, all you have to do is look back in history and you see that there are instances where this has happened, where they've had strong freezes all the way down to Florida, where we've had... 20 inch snowstorms all the way down to the Gulf Coast. Um, it's happened before. It will happen again. You know, it just takes the wrong kind of setup for that to happen. So, you know, when you're thinking about climate change, I think the most important thing is to, to try and understand, is this going to become more frequent? Is this going to become, you know, just less frequent, but more intense when it happens? Uh, and those are all things that you kind of have to have to research. I think in general, what we're seeing is just this tendency for events to just hit extreme. Um, and, and I can't tell you how many times in the last five or six years as a weather forecaster, I've sat there and I've looked at model data before forecast and before I made the forecast and said like, well, this seems a little extreme or this seems a little excessive. And 90% of the time it's been that extreme or excessive outcome. That's, that's been the one that's come close to verifying, um, or has verified explicitly. Uh, and I think that that is now, a focal point for us as forecasters is to, you know, it used to be that you would have this really extreme looking event. You would say that's probably an outlier. You know, that probably won't happen. Now you have to say there's a good chance it's going to happen if you have, you know, model consistency saying so. So I think that that has kind of changed our approach a little bit as forecasters to some extent. And, um, you know, when you get snake bitten so many times down here, like we have from, you know, floods and freezes and, and all sorts of problems, you know, you just become more apt to expect the worst case scenario to, to verify. So, you know, as, as time goes on and as we see climate change, fingerprints become more apparent in more areas. I mean, this is only going to become a, a more and more common issue. You know, one of the commonalities that I think as we've been looking at extreme uh, swings of temperature, so extreme heat and then now uh, extreme cold, I think one of the commonalities of the impact is power outages um, the, or the potential for power outages. Are, are you thinking about that in your forecasting? Is that what you're seeing is one of the probabilities for extreme uh, cold and, and extreme weather events, especially in the South? Yeah, I think it's become something that is uh, more in the front of our mind uh, than it used to be, certainly after Yuri. <laughs> it's it's become uh, in the front of our mind in Texas. But, uh, you know, Texas has its has its own unique problems and its own issues, but they are they are absolutely applicable to the rest of the country. Um, this is not something that can, you know, is only going to happen in Texas. This is something that can happen anywhere. And I think as forecasters, you know, we obviously, we can't predict power outages. We can't forecast what, what's going to happen with the grid, but we can, 
give people information to help uh, and, and layer in some preparedness information wherever possible in our forecasts. I think that's something that we do try and do. Um, you know, I know whenever we have a risk of a significant amount, I usually always include a link to uh, you know, either city of Houston or Harris County or state of Texas website on uh, building a kit for preparedness things. I think that it's important for uh, meteorologists everywhere to consider that whenever you see the likelihood of some sort of extreme coming your way, um, it, you should probably be doing that. And, uh, you know, that, that is, that's the best that I think we can hope for, um, in this sort of situation. But I think, you know, it's important to, it's important to understand that the infrastructure is getting taxed more and more as the climate becomes more chaotic. Um, and, you know, some of that is, you know, a lot of that is climate change. Some of that is the fact that our infrastructure is, you know, older and not, not, not always designed for certain things. And, and some of that is just, you know, the amount of people that live here now, you know, the population's grown. There's more people living in more places that, you know, I don't want to say they shouldn't, but places that are probably a little more disaster prone than, than you'd like. So, um, infrastructure stress is an issue. Uh, and it's something that we absolutely have to consider as forecasters when we're explaining to people what the, the potential outcomes are. You mentioned the the power outages specifically, but let's also talk about the heating systems because, uh, you know, depending on how people get their heat, um, there can be big impacts. I mean, the first thing once uh, once the lights go out or once you have a disruption in your gas service or something, people start getting cold and it happens pretty quickly. And people saw that certainly in, in uh, 2021 and, and several other events. If you were to give advice to people who are stuck at home, they have no heat, uh, you know, what would you tell people, especially uh, if they're not in a, a house that's particularly well insulated or not uh, in a in a situation they're used to? Yeah, and we saw a lot of that with Yuri. So I think that what people uh, people need to understand is that it's not always going to be a quick restoration. You know, a lot of times if you have thunderstorms or something that comes through and you lose power, it's out for two hours, it comes back on, right? So you have this potential that you're going to be dealing with this for a day, two days, off and on for three or four days. Um, you know, who's to say, so you have to be, that's why it's so important to be prepared is that you, you have to be able to handle uh, this sort of you know, chaos that you're going to experience if you lose your power. Um, I, I think it's very important. One of the, the leading um, causes uh, of of fatalities during the URI event where it was carbon monoxide poisoning. And I think it's so important that if you have a generator, if you have a portable heater, something like that, to make sure that you're following the best practices for those things and make sure that you double check before the season uh, that those are ready to go and that those are going to be able to be used and used properly um, you know, when you have a, you know, a situation like that, if you have a situation like that through winter. Uh, it's, we saw a lot of generators get installed after 21. Um, it became a huge thing in Texas. Uh, you know, I understanding that that is you know, technology that maybe you're not always used to. Um, you know, just make sure you're doing it the right way and make sure if you have to call somebody out to, to take a look at it, that you do that. Um, you know, houses in the South are not well insulated. It's just, you know, it's part of the deal. Um, and, uh, you know, you just have to, you just have to be ready and, and preparedness is so important now. And I think that, that February 21 really illustrated that we need to take that, 
you know, less is a, it, it was easy pre prior to that to take cold is almost like a joke down here. Like, Oh, it's cold. Look at us um, suffering in the cold, uh, you know, cause we have to wear jackets when it's 50 degrees. Like, no, we can actually have damaging cold um, down here and we got to be ready for that now. And you mentioned a lot of, you know, things that you can put in a kit to be prepared. One of the things that we always tell people is just stay informed, uh, stay up to date. Um, don't be caught off guard by a storm that, you know, has been more or less in the forecast for a long time, which happens, you know, pretty often across the country, not just in the South. You know, Space City Weather is very active on social media. That's kind of your your main way of getting information out to your followers and to your, to your um, you know, the folks that you work with. How, uh, what is the role um, that you see social media in disseminating some of this information for these winter weather events? Or really, you could say that about any event. I think especially now, it's really, really, really important um, for people to make sure that they have a small group of, of resources that they trust, that they that have proven that they are trustworthy, uh, that are uh, proven to be useful during events and not noisemakers. Um, you know, what we've done with Space City Weather is, you know, we we try to post, you know, now we're trying to expand our reach to all these different platforms that have kind of materialized in, in recent months and uh, will probably continue to materialize. It's it's a lot of work, but it's it's a responsibility on us, um, you know, to kind of inform people now. Uh, we can't just take it for granted and, and just assume that people are going to come find us, you have to try and reach people where they are. Uh, and that's why it's important to be active on as many social media platforms as you are, if you were in the business of communicating, you know, weather or news or whatever, uh, to people. And I, I think it's, you know, one of the things I, I love is that, you know, the National Weather Service is very active on social media as well. And they do great work in all the offices, they've really made a push to, to be sort of, um, to be ahead of the game, almost. Uh, in terms of of, of use of, of Twitter and and Facebook and uh, you know I, I think I would love to see them get more involved in, in some of the other platforms, but I understand you know it's hard. It takes a lot of resources and time to to handle that to, to manage a social media operation. But above all, it's really incumbent on you know people to find voices that work for them and work for their situation. Um, and you just have to make sure that particularly with weather. You know, there can't be weather is not a it's not a partisan thing. It's 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 you know it it, it is or it isn't. So you know, in this world of you know political whatever, um, you you have to be able to make sure that you've got somebody that is just a reasoned, objective voice on on weather information, uh, and, and to just kind of get you through uh, you know those storms. One of the things that I did, and I think that other people should consider this that are that are professionals in the field. You know, I made a list on on Twitter at least of Houston follow uh, Houston agencies and, and people that, that tweet about weather, but that do not, you know, really tweet noise. Um, it's just information, you know, obviously with platforms evolving and, and changing and all that, you know, that may not be the, the best thing to do. But as this evolution continues, I think it's important for professionals to understand that number one, that's good for you. So you have a source of information. And number two, it may even be good for your public too, so that they know that they can connect with all these other agencies without having to go out and find all of them, um, that you can do some of that work for them. And yeah, it's asking you to do more work, but it's it's a good, uh, I think it's a good thing for for your community. You know, that's one of the things I love about your story is that you know, you're really parlaying your passion uh, and your talent 
into something that can really make a difference in, in people's lives of making sure that they are well informed and and having a group of people that are helping you um, you know convey that information um, as as your as your site gets more and more popular to help people. You know, Matt. Uh, you know, I, I first of all I want to thank you for your time uh, to talk with us. But but second of all, as we as we close out, knowing that our audience is uh, emergency managers, you know, the the people who are maybe using your forecast to plan for what might be coming uh, at them as they need to respond and then potentially recover from an event. You know, what are some of maybe the the key takeaways or lessons that you've had from these past winter weather events in in places that maybe aren't ready for them or or I don't normally think about them. Houston is an example. Um, you know, how, what are some key takeaways to help people improve their preparedness for, for the future? Yeah. So I think number one, you know, most of the, um, most of the national weather service forecast offices do a great job with these, what, what are called integrated warning teams where they bring together media, emergency managers, uh, other agencies within the community, and they just hash it out. They meet, um, you know, once or twice a year and they get to know each other. So building those relationships up ahead of time is, is really important. Uh, you know, get to know a couple of meteorologists in your community or that work in TV stations or, you know, run blogs like us, or that are at the national weather service offices. Um, you know, just people that you know that you can just go to and be like, hey, you know, this is our situation. Can you help us? Um, I think the other thing is we really do focus so much on the impacts of the event. And then sometimes we forget a little bit about what happens after the event. Uh, you know, I think about this a lot during hurricanes because we can have, you know, substantial heat after hurricanes a lot. This can really be taxing on people. But I think when you think about the cold too, like one of the things from uh, the winter storm in 21 that, that struck me as, as well, yeah, that makes sense. But I didn't really think a ton about that um, was just how long it took for roads to open. Like you just could not travel because the, the you know, like I said, we don't have the infrastructure down here to really clear the roads. There's only so much that can be done. And, you know, we couldn't get out until Wednesday or Thursday. So, you know, even if you you know had to go somewhere, you really couldn't. Um, or it would be extremely precarious to do it. So uh, I think it's it's important for us to recognize that um, you know that that is going to be an issue for for people after winter weather events, and to you know to make sure you're paying attention to the forecast that if you're expecting snow or ice in addition to cold, how long is that going to you know be on your roads to prevent you from getting out uh, and about in your communities? And you know I, I think. Uh, one other point is just you know don't hesitate to reach out. I know most meteorologists. Um, are are very keen to help uh, you know folks in the emergency management community. There's been quite a few meteorologists in recent years that have actually you know jumped into that community straight up. Um, you know we we understand that it, it it's important for for that for that community to have good information, and we would rather hear from them than you know have somebody just randomly stumble onto a Facebook post or something that you know may or may not you know, you may not be able to completely verify right away. Uh, and just in the heat of the moment, you know, you're just, you know, take it and run with it. So, you know, get, like I said, get to know a couple of meteorologists, get their contact information. And, you know, it's important for all of us uh, to do as much work as we can during the the, the off season, if there is such a thing anymore, um, to, to be ready, um, you know, when, when stuff does get crazy. Thanks for listening to this episode of Before, During and After a podcast from FEMA. If you'd like to learn more about this episode or other topics, or have ideas for future episodes, visit us at fema.gov podcast.